Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to dive into one more big idea in this current series uh, we're doing called The God Jesus Knows. And this idea, um, I don't know, it's so embedded in us. It's so stuck in us that it, it makes it hard to grasp one of the most amazing parts about who God is. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, if you've been part of the series so far, you know we've, we've been asking a question uh, in, in the series. Basically, whenever we bump into an idea about God, there are so many ideas about God, and we've been looking at these different commonly held beliefs that so many people hold, um, you know, ourselves, the people around us in churches, this, this country, this world, and what we're doing is we're, we're taking these commonly held beliefs and we're asking the question, is this idea actually consistent with the God that Jesus knows? Um, because Christianity teaches this amazing idea that uh, if we want to know who God is, God chose actually to take the assumption out of it, to take the guesswork out of it, and he sent his son, and Jesus came to go, hey, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. And so there's a way for us to actually go, okay, the ideas that I have about God, I can actually evaluate them alongside Jesus. And so what we've done is we've, we've seen that all of us, we've, we've grown up with certain ideas. We've, we've been taught certain ideas. We've heard certain ideas. We've, we've come up with certain ideas. And these ideas about who God is truly impact our faith. They impact how we see God. They impact how we see ourselves. And, and what we've been doing is asking the question, okay, so where do we have ideas about God that may not be consistent with the God that Jesus revealed? And it just helps us understand who he is. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at a few really important ideas, again, that impact us tremendously. And, and if you've missed any parts of the series, I would really encourage you to go and listen in because, again, Jesus portrays these as very foundational. We'll get a bit more into that today. But he portrays these ideas as very foundational, and yet so many people struggle to accept it. And again, we'll talk a little bit about why. But here's some of the ideas that we've, we've looked at so far in the series. The first one was this, that Jesus introduces us to a God that is good. He's good. He's not an angry judge that's looking to punish sin. Like that's so many times what people think God is. And it's like, oh no, what if I do? What if I am? No, God is good. And he's not looking to punish. He's not an angry judge. We also looked at the idea that in this roller coaster world that goes up and down and all the craziness of it, that he is a trustworthy father that loves us and wants to help walk with us. Then last week, we looked at a really interesting interaction that Jesus had with some people that pretty much showed this reality that our sin does not affect God's love for us. And, and sometimes that's actually a shocking realization that our sin does not affect God's love for us. That his love is unconditional with no conditions. Is that there is no sin, no shame, no mistake that makes him love you or me less. So those are some of the things that we looked at. And according to Jesus... These are the ideas that we need if we're going to have a relationship with God, if we're going to have a faith that, that goes according to the God that Jesus knows, if it's going to be a real Christian faith, then these are some of the ideas that we must have. And if we don't have these ideas, if we don't grow in these ideas, if we don't challenge our own sort of thinking about who God is, then we may miss out on experiencing the depth of who God is and what he wants for our lives because we'll constantly be, be, be living according to something that he's not. So it's so important for us to wrestle with these ideas. Now, 
I don't know what your experience has been listening to these ideas. Some of us are just like, cool, I love those. I, thanks for saying it. It's wonderful. Let's go. For some of us, though, we've been listening to them, and, and, and this may be you. This has been me. As we're listening to these ideas, I don't know if a question has come up in you. And maybe you haven't listened to the series so far, but just my recap. You're hearing God is love, unconditionally loving. He's good. He's a trustworthy father. He's generous. He's kind, all that stuff. I wonder if the question that, that and I've had some conversations with people over email and in person where, where somebody's come up to me and they've said, okay, cool. I like that God is love. And I get that. I get that. I see those scriptures. But isn't he holy too? And how does that fit in? Okay, I like that God is love and he's kind and unconditional love, no conditions, so my sin doesn't mess with God's love for me. But what about the scripture? What about the one that says there are consequences for like sin and stuff? <laughs> what, about, what about the things where it talks about judgment? What about the thing where it talks about that word repent? How do, you, how do we reconcile this idea that God is so loving and unconditionally loving and good and kind and trustworthy and generous? What about those other scriptures? How do we reconcile those things? What about the scriptures that address sin? What about the scriptures that talk about obedience? What about the scriptures that say, here are the instructions, this is how I want you to live. What about those? How do we reconcile those? Because is, is, is do they come into it? And most of the time what we do, we either see God as love or we see him as judge, holy. How do they come together? So if you've wondered that or if you're wondering that, you're in good company because a lot of people have asked that question and we've had some really good conversations and it's an important question to ask because as we've been saying, the dominant narrative in Jesus' teaching about who God is, is that God is unconditionally loving. It's grace, it's mercy, it's goodness, it's, it's kindness, it's generosity, as we're gonna see again today. That's the dominant narrative. But every now and then, you bump into these scriptures and it's like, oh, what do I do with that? And so it's really important for us to take some time and come and look at those things. And so, so while we're actually going to be ending this part of this journey of discovering the God that Jesus knows today with one more idea, we felt like it was really important for us to actually come back and do a second part to the series, uh, like season two, if you will, okay? So we're gonna come back in, in, in a few weeks. We've got really cool stuff planned for next week and the following week, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna do a second part to the series, the God Jesus knows, and we want to look at the problem of sin. The God Jesus knows in the problem of sin. How does all that stuff work? Again, because Jesus clearly portrays this God that's good and loving and kind and unconditional love and the goodness of God. That's where that is. So how does the rest of it come in? And we're going to look at those things, obedience and repentance, and all that stuff. So I'm really excited to come back to that. But the reason we've taken these weeks to really emphasize this, to kind of go, this is who he is is, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter the sin, doesn't matter the shame, doesn't matter anything we've done, this is who he is. The reason we've done that is because so often, even throughout the entire history of Christianity, so often our understanding of God has been dominated by a misunderstanding of these ideas. And so often we've created a picture of God where he is, rather than being good, he is this angry judge. And that's the primary picture we have. That's the dominant theme we have. Maybe not in our words, but in our life. Maybe not in our theology, our stated theology, but in our, the way we live, when we 
mess up or when someone else messes up, the dominant idea is that he's an angry judge. And so we wanted to take time to really get down to the root and the foundation and make sure we understand that our picture of God lines up with the picture that Jesus had. Because so often, like the dominant idea has been that he's angry and a judge rather than that he's good, sometimes the dominant theme has not been that he's unconditionally loving. There are all these kinds of conditions placed on his love for us that we kind of have to earn his favor. Or if you're a Christian, you became a Christian for free, it was by grace, you know, all of that, but then you better start doing stuff. You better keep doing stuff, otherwise he's gonna not love you. Otherwise, he's gonna, like, how does that work? So we wanted to take some time to make sure before we look at the repentance, before we look at the instructions and how sin affects us, we wanted to make sure we lay a solid foundation of who he is. That he is a good and beautiful God. That he is generous and trustworthy and unconditionally loving. Because here's the thing, here's, this is what I found. If he is that, if he is that, you know what happens to me? I go, I want to trust him. I want to. I, I want to follow him. If that's who he is. I mean, if he unconditionally loves me and he's good and he knows and he's trustworthy, then why wouldn't I want to follow him? If he's angry at me all the time telling me to do something that I don't feel I can actually do, then I'm going, I don't know if I can follow him. But if he is this beautiful, good, unconditionally loving, generous, kind, trustworthy God, then for me, I go, I want to follow him. I want to do everything. Even if I don't fully understand, I just want to follow him. That's what I want to do, who I want to do. But too often, God is presented in some other way. And this is why I believe Jesus came. One of the reasons, so that he could explain, I want you to know who God is. He loves you. I want you to know that he's good, that he's generous, that he's trustworthy, that he's unconditionally loving. And that's who he is. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much of that thing that you've done, you've done. It doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because it's who he is. He's good. He's loving. It's based on him. And who you are doesn't change who he is. That's so huge. He is good. Good. He is trustworthy. He is unconditionally loving, which means he loves you with no condition. That's who he is. And who you are doesn't matter. Doesn't change him. He is unconditionally loving. And then maybe a good way to kind of wrap this all up into one statement thing that helps me understand this is he's a God who is crazy about you. <laughs> he's crazy about you. He, he, when he thinks about you, he smiles and he goes, oh my gosh, I love them. I'm crazy about them. And where my heart sometimes goes and where our heart sometimes goes, is like, but what about? He goes, I know about it and I'm crazy about you. He loves you. So while I'm excited to come back to some of these questions about what about repentance? What about sin? What about you know, actions? What about all that stuff? 
I'm excited because we need to talk about that. And there are verses in the New Testament and Old Testament that we need to discuss and look at those things. We have to come back to that. But for those of you who've asked those questions, and I'm so glad you have, they're important questions. But for us, as we navigate that, if you've asked that question, for me, as I navigate this, it's so important that we look at these things. But before we address those things, we have to have a foundation of who God is. Because too often, and this is huge, too often our Christianity, it depends on us and on our actions and on our behavior. And I'm telling you, a Christianity that depends on me and my actions and my behavior is a very weak Christianity. I'm too fickle. It's a very flawed Christianity. If it depends on my actions and my ability and my you know, way of being worth it or earning it, it's a flawed Christianity. So we have to get those things. We'll get to those things. We'll talk about those things. But we have to lay this foundation of who he is. And he is good. And he is trustworthy. And he is generous. And he is unconditionally loving. And he is crazy about you. He's crazy about you when he thinks of you. As we saw last week, it doesn't matter how much sin we have. No matter what you've done, he's crazy about you. Too often we have a Christianity that we've experienced or that we've portrayed that says something like this, that when God looks at you, he goes, I'm crazy about you if... There's always that if. I'm crazy about you if you make sure you. I'm crazy about you when you do and when you don't. I'm crazy about you, but, but I'm crazy about you as long as you. And if you're a Christian, we've got a different version of it because we sometimes go, okay, he saved me, he gave me grace, Jesus died for me, now I better prove that I was worth it. He's crazy about me if I prove that I was worth it. If I do, and there's always that thing that's added to it, which means it's not really crazy about you, which means it's not really unconditional. And part of the reason we believe that is because we think we must do something to earn it, or we think we must do something to keep it, or we think we must do something to prove that he should still give it to us. We think we have to do all these things, but that is a Christianity that's based on me again and my effort and my behavior and my actions and my goodness. And that is so often where we go as people. It's so often where we go as Christians, but that is not the Christianity that Jesus offers. That is not the Christianity. That, that, uh, that's not the God that Jesus knows. The God that Jesus knows is crazy about you. Period. But, nah. No ifs, no ands, no buts. The God Jesus knows is crazy about you. And I'm not just making this up. It's all throughout Scripture. I want to show you a couple of verses. Romans 5 verse 8 says it so beautifully. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. In other words, God shows how crazy he is about us in this. He demonstrates his love by doing this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pause, think about that. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not, <clears throat> we, we hadn't promised anything yet. 
We hadn't done anything. I hadn't changed. I hadn't even leaned in. I haven't even given a desire. I haven't even said, God, if you, then I will. I've made no promises. I've done nothing while we were still sinners. I hadn't even kind of made it a little better. I haven't even hidden anything, whatever. I hadn't done a thing while we were still sinners. That's how God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Was sin... Like stopping sinning, was that a requirement? No. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And that's how he demonstrated how crazy he is about you. Another verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Why? Because he loved the world. Because he loved the world he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Another way of saying that could be this in the Justin translation. Because God is so crazy about you, because he's so crazy about you, he gave his only son so that whoever trusts, whoever trusts him, whoever goes, oh my gosh, wow, if that's who you are, I trust you, can discover the life that he wants for them. You see, because he's crazy about you. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have the life that he wants to give you, eternal life, fulfilled life here. He wants you to have that because he's crazy about you and because he wants that for you, he calls you to say, hey, won't you trust me? Won't you follow me? Won't you surrender to me? And in following him, we discover that life. And we're gonna talk about what it looks like to follow him as a result of this, but he never doesn't love you. He's never not crazy about you. That is absolutely clear. So in a couple of weeks, we're gonna come back and do season two of The God Jesus Knows. The God Jesus knows and the problem of sin. How does all that come together? But today, I wanna hit one final idea that keeps us from believing that God is unconditionally loving, that God is generous, that keeps us believing that I have to earn it, that keeps us believing that I have to prove that I'm worth it, that keeps us believing that if I mess it up, then he's gonna kick me out. There's something deeply stuck in us as humanity that makes us believe that that can't be true. It's something that we've grown up with. It's something that has happened in every sphere of our life, and it has taught us an earning narrative that I have to do in order to earn, that I have to perform in order to be accepted. It teaches us that. It's something that literally comes up in every sphere of our lives. And it's something that Jesus speaks into, and we're gonna look at that as well. James Bryan Smith, the author of the book, The Good and Beautiful God, um, it's the book that sort of inspired this whole series. And in this book, if you wanna study more about this stuff, it's a great book, The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. But here's what he says about this idea that's stuck in our hearts that sometimes gets transposed onto who God is. This is what he says. From a young age, we learn that our parents' love is dependent on our good behavior. We learn that they love us if we do well. That school grades are given based on our performance. That affection is offered on attractiveness. That rejection, loneliness, and isolation are the consequences of failure. And then he says this, when every person in every situation, in every day of our lives treats us on the basis of how we look, act, and perform, 
it's difficult not to project that onto God. And after all, God is bigger than our parents, more aware than our authority figures, and sees more of us than our closest friends do. So if in every area of our lives, performance determines acceptance, performance determines whether you get what you're hoping for. Every area of our lives, isn't it any wonder that we think that's true of God, that performance determines love and acceptance? Isn't it any wonder that we believe that about God as well? And then, to make matters worse, so many people just believe this without even thinking about it. We just believe it. We just, that's who we are. It's our worldview, and we don't evaluate it. We just do it. We just know that that's how it works. And so many people live in that place that sometimes even Christian pastors and teachers will teach not based on the God Jesus knows, but based from their worldview of performance determines love and acceptance. And so sometimes, pastors and Christians will lean toward those scriptures that say you must do something without understanding the overall narrative of grace, the overall narrative of unconditional love, the overall narrative of a God who is good and generous and kind and trustworthy. Without understanding all that, they'll pick some of these scriptures that go, you must do in order to, and then make a new narrative that says God's love is conditional based on whether you do it, whether you perform, because you better earn it. And then, because we hear messages like that, then we go, okay, well, if that's what he's like, well, then I better too. And it makes sense, because it happens everywhere else. And so this idea of performance determines love and acceptance gets drilled into our souls, <laughs> gets drilled into our hearts and our minds, and then that's how we think God is as well. And we learn that God's love and acceptance and forgiveness must be earned by right living. And again, I'm gonna read that again because that is such a good description of what so many of us experience, of what I have and sometimes still fall into experience of how God is, that God's love and acceptance and forgiveness must be earned or maintained by right living. And then we look at God through that lens, we go to church through that lens, we read the Bible through that lens, so no wonder you read something about instructions, you're like, well, there, there, there it is. And we don't have the overall narrative of a God that is unconditionally loving because performance-based acceptance is the dominant theme in all our relationships, in all our actions, in all our work, in all our school, in our world, and we hear teachings on that sometimes that tell us do right and God will bless you and do wrong and God will punish you. So no wonder we believe that. No wonder we believe that. And it's really hard to not believe that thing if that's all around us. But this is why it's so important to ask, is that the narrative Jesus taught? Is that the God that Jesus revealed? And that's what I wanna do now. I wanna look at an incredible story that he told that just goes, flies in the face of this earning narrative, flies in the face of your performance will, 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 will get you what you're supposed to get. It flies in the face of that. And it's an incredible story that he tells. So I want to go there. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. And he starts by, by saying, hey, I want to explain to you what it's like relating to God, what God is like. And he says that by saying this in the first few words, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like to know God. This is who God is. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he tells the story. It's like a, a landowner who went out early in the morning, early in the morning, probably 6 a.m., as the sun was coming up, to hire workers for his vineyard. 
He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Denarius was the daily wage that most people worked for. Verse three says this. About nine in the morning, three hours later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. They weren't doing anything, not earning a thing. Doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and then about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. He got them to go work. And then about five in the afternoon, so this is 11 hours after the first guy started working, he goes again and finds some people doing nothing. At five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He convinces them to go work as well for the last little bit of light in the day. Verse eight, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And this is where, <laughs> this is, a, like if you really get into the story, if you don't just kind of breeze past it because it's like, yeah, whatever, but if you really get into the story, this is where it's frustrating. This is where it doesn't make sense. This is where it's wrong. And you look at this and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, that does not work. But Jesus is doing this on purpose because he's going, hey, this is what you all expect. I wanna show you the kingdom of God is different. This is what he says. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And you're like, wait a minute. That's what he agreed to pay the guy that started at six in the morning. This started at five. A denarius, wait, 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 what's going on here? So when those came who were hired first, obviously they expected to receive more, right? Why? Because the dominant narrative is, if I work hard, I get. If I earn, if I prove my worth, then I will get. That's what will happen, right? And if you don't work hard, you're not gonna get, right? So they obviously expected to receive more. (laughs) Look at the next word, but. but each one of them also received a denarius. Now, if that was you, what would you feel? You'd be like, come on, (laughs) that's not right. They also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landover like all of us would. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They only worked, they, what? They didn't do any work. We worked so hard, they said. And you have made them equal to us? They're not equal to us. Who've, who've borne the burden and the work of the heat of the day. I mean, come on, seriously? In other words, they were saying they don't deserve it. And they kind of were right. They don't deserve it. They didn't earn that. I earned that. They didn't earn that. So how can you give them that same amount? <laughs> but remember, Jesus is telling us not what's fair, not what's accepted, not what's normal, not what we typically expect, but he's telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what the God he knows is like. Verse 12, verse 13, sorry, he says, but he answered one of them after they grumbled, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? I didn't change that. You agreed. This is all normal. We agreed on that. Take your pay and go. And then I love these next three words because they say something so beautiful about God. I want to give. I want to give. That's who I am. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. And in that, those three words, he expresses a desire of a good and beautiful God to give generously to people who don't necessarily deserve it. 
And then he says something so powerful. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Do you struggle with my generosity? Do you struggle with the fact that I want to give to people who don't deserve it? You struggle with that because that's the God Jesus knows. And Jesus explains here that he's generous. And while everything in our world tells us that we get what we deserve, Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven, we don't. We don't. That God's love and acceptance are not based on our performance, on what we earned or what we deserved, but it's based on his generosity. That's what his love, that's what his acceptance, that's what he gives. It's based on his generosity, not our ability to earn, not our worthiness to earn. It's based on his generosity. Jesus makes it so clear. And in doing this, Jesus begins to correct a distorted view of God that says, you owe me if I, and if I don't, you don't, I don't get it. He says, no, 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 no. I give because I want to. For God so loved the world that he gave. No conditions. That's what Jesus is. And on top of this, he, he kind of expresses something so brilliant historically as well because he's speaking to the Jewish nation. And as he talks to them, he says, you, you Jewish people, for years the Old Testament law has been there and you have worked hard to do it. None of you succeeded, but you've worked hard to do all those things. And now you think you deserve what well, I'm going to welcome in the Gentiles who've never kept the law never kept any of the law, and I'm going to give them the same blessing that I promised you, based not on what they did, but based on what I am, and I am generous. And in this one parable, Jesus makes it so clear that God's kingdom, in his kingdom, he treats people not based on our performance, on our merit, on what we earned or deserved, but he treats people based on his generosity. But that's so hard for us to swallow because it doesn't fit in anything for us, but that's who Jesus says God is. James Bryan Smith asks this interesting question. He says, if this were the only story you knew about God, what would you conclude? If this is the only story, you knew. What would you conclude? He says this about that. He says, I would believe that God does not behave anything like I see in the world. In Jesus' parable, I'm struck by the utter gratuity of God. The late workers did not deserve a day's wages. They didn't. The God Jesus reveals runs counter to the way we are wired to think. And Jesus rocked this world and said, would you begin to believe the God I brought, that I show. James Ryan Smith quotes Brendan Manning when he describes the God Jesus reveals. He says this, Jesus reveals a God who does not demand, but who gives, who does not oppress, but who raises up, who does not wound, but heals, who does not condemn, but forgives. That's the God Jesus reveals. So, so, so how does that land? 
Because if you were the guy who worked 12 hours and now suddenly this other punk comes and gets the same stuff and he just worked one hour, what is going on? How do we feel about that? And, and there's something in us that says, I must earn, I must earn. There's something in us that says, okay, I've accepted, but now I must earn and now I must prove and now I must keep. There's something in us. So let me ask you a question, just kind of dig and, and to think about. Do you believe that your acceptance from God, your standing with God, and your blessing from God, do you believe that your acceptance, your standing, and your blessing is based on your effort, your goodness, your discipline, your work, or do you believe it's based on his generosity? Do we believe, where does it come from? Do we earn God's love and acceptance and blessing based on our effort, or is it from his generosity? Because that has massive implications for how we relate to God, for how we handle it when we mess up, for how we handle it when, when we do well, and what we think God owes us, and all these things, it's massive implications. Jesus was very, very clear. The God he knows gives acceptance, relationship, and blessing based on his generosity, not our ability. But again, <laughs> This is not easy to make a part of our lives. It's hard to swallow this because <clears throat> we grow up with this teaching of you better do, otherwise you won't get. And if you don't work hard, you don't, like that's part of life. I get it. That's a reality of the world. Is that the same as God? Jesus says no, very clearly. For me, I grew up, I've told you, in a broken home where several divorces, but part of the mess of that is that there were a lot of broken relationships between <clears throat> All our siblings and, 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 you know, and, and our mom. And when, man, all of my three siblings were kicked out of home or lost relationship with my mom because they didn't measure up. My youngest brother was 14, kicked out because he didn't measure up, didn't do enough. <laughs> I, on the other hand, did my best to do everything I was supposed to do for her, everything. And as a result, I wasn't kicked out. Guess what I learned? I learned that you perform, you'll be accepted. You don't, you won't. And that idea was so driven into my heart that I lived that and I put that on my relationship with God, so much so that I believed for a long portion of my Christianity that, that if I were to die with, with some th wrong thought or wrong picture or wrong understanding in my mind, then God would send me to hell because of that. Because my relationship with him was based on what I could do. And what, if, if I sinned or didn't sin, it wasn't based on his generosity and his love and his kindness and whether I trusted him. It was based on my performance. And, and changing that was hard, but then when I discovered the God Jesus knows, when I discovered that he was good and unconditionally loving and generous and trustworthy, that's when I began to change how I saw him. It was incredible. I began to fall in love with that God. And when I fell in love with that God, you know what happened? I wanted to follow him. I wanted to go, because if this, this other God that will strike you down if you make one wrong step, or if you don't stop, stop that, if you don't fix you, if you don't do that, that God scares me. That God makes me go, ah, oh, I, I probably should do everything I can to follow you, but I don't, ah, not sure if I want to. 
But that's not the God that Jesus knows. The God Jesus knows says this. There's a beautiful scripture that says, we love him because he first loved us. And when you discover this good and generous and loving, unconditionally loving, trustworthy God, I go, oh my word, I want that. I like him. He likes me. He's crazy about me. Wait, wait, wait. He's crazy about me and everything he does toward me is based on his love and goodness toward me. That makes me go, I I like him. I love him. You fall in love with him. And then you know what? I want to follow him, not because I must, but because I want to. And not because I must earn his love, but because I have it. Because I have it. And I can live from that place of being absolutely, unconditionally loved. I go, wow, I just want to do everything he says. I want to to surrender to him. I want to give everything I am to him because that's who he is. Is I think Jesus came and wanted us to know the God he knows is unconditionally loving, good, trustworthy, generous, gives because he loves, gives because he wants to, not because we earned it, because you know what, we can't earn it. And when we simply go, thank you, (laughs) wow, I love you, I trust you, it changes everything. What if we could live our lives based on the idea that he's crazy about you? What if you woke up every morning and you went, he's crazy about me. He's crazy about me. That's the starting point, and that's what Jesus wants us to have as a starting point, that when we know how much he loves, when we know that nothing is a condition that keeps his love away from us, when we know that, then the rest follows. Then what about my life? How about that sin that impacts me? Oh gosh, we'll get to that because God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be hurt. He doesn't want you to experience death. He doesn't want you to, he loves you so much. And when I know that, when I live from that place, everything begins to change. And that's where he wants us to start. At a place where where, where I don't have to earn it. Those, those last workers didn't earn it. They didn't earn it. But God in his generosity and in his love, he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. Even while we were still sinners, we didn't earn it. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. And he just gives. So why do we then start going, okay, now I must be worthy. Now I must keep earning. Now I must make sure that he doesn't stop loving as if it's dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. And knowing the God that Jesus knows sets us up for the rest of our life, for all these other things to make sense when we understand who he is. This is why we need to start from this point, not from a point of judgment, not from a point of sin management, not from a point of stop sinning. We have to start from a point of he is crazy about you. (laughs) That's a cool start. (laughs) Because if he's crazy about me, then, okay, tell me more. Wow. Then, I fall in love with the God Jesus knows. Then I want to follow. Then I want to trust. So we're going to come back in a few weeks. We're going to come back and we're going to ask the questions. What about those other verses? How do they fit in? But we have to start with the God Jesus knows. That he is good. 
that he is unconditionally loving, that he's trustworthy, that he's so generous that he gives because he wants to, not because you deserve it. That's who he is, and he's crazy about you. If we start there, everything else begins to make sense. Again, our muscle memory keeps us from believing this. Because when we mess up, we're like, oh, when somebody else messes up and judgment comes up. And we're like, there's something in us that says, no, 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 no. You have to earn or you have to keep or you have to prove or you have to show you're worth it. There's something in us. So as we've done every other part of the series, we've said we want to do something that helps us build some muscle memory around believing the generosity of God. So a cool thing that we can do to build some muscle memory around this is, is to go and read and maybe even learn Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 is such a beautiful depiction of the generosity of God. Read it, learn it, quote it over and over again if you can, because that'll build some muscle memory around the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing, lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even if I go through the worst places, he's there. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It shows his generosity. And if we can quote that and build some muscle memory around the idea that God is generous, I believe that'll help us. Not start with what do I need to do or what do I need to do to keep what do I need to earn? Start at the place of God is good. He's generous. He's unconditionally loving. He's trustworthy and he's crazy about you. And then we go from there. He's good. He's loving and he's generous. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible truth. Jesus, thank you for telling that story in such vivid detail that goes against my narrative of earning that goes against this idea that thinks I have to do to keep or do to earn or do to prove. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to prove a thing. You've proved it all. You love because you want to. That's who you are. And I get to love because you love me first. Help us see you as good and unconditionally loving and generous and trustworthy, help us see you that way. And then help that picture help us understand some of those hard to understand parts. But let that be the foundation, let that be the lens that we see things through, depicted so beautifully in that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Help us know this good and beautiful God. In Jesus' name, amen.